all of the things that all of you do. I am exempt from anything in this session. I'm the sacred worker. You're the secular. No, no. Uh, but we're going to be talking about you. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you for the gift and the calling of work. Thank you that you have made us with your image uh, imprinted upon our lives and our hearts and our desires. You have given us uh, industry and creativity and, and labor, and you've given it to us as a way that we can glorify you. We pray that you would sanctify our thoughts about work today. Help us to understand uh, Christ, our Savior. You told us after the image of our Savior today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so talking about secular work today, and uh, as we begin to think about this, um, what we're really thinking about is, is one of the ways that we place ourselves in God's world. Not the only way that we place ourselves in God's world, but one of the foundational ways that we do it, and one that comes up over and over again, uh, R.C. Sproul suggests... Uh, this is from his, uh, his book. Oh, what was it from? It's from a chapter in his book, God's Will and Your Job. I think it's a, a book about discerning the will of God. Uh, and he suggests that uh, when you meet somebody, there are recurring questions that come up, ways that they uh, place you in the world and ways that you place yourself in the world. And those questions are always, what is your name? Where are you from? What do you do? Now, uh, we want to understand one another. We want to understand what they do in the world. And that means that uh, when we talk about our work, we're really talking about everybody, right? There's not anybody in the world that our doctrine or understanding of work doesn't touch on, even as we get into the, the idea of those who can't work, right? As we go through, we'll, we'll think perhaps about uh, work as service to the Lord, but also as work as service to others. And so uh, even those who can't work, those who have disabilities, those who are, uh, who are uh, handicapped in various ways, our doctrine of work and our understanding of work even touches on what we understand about how we care for others. Uh, so it touches on, on everybody. If we're talking about those who are young and thinking about work, those who are older uh, and spending their time after their vocation, uh, it, it touches on all of our lives. Uh, and this is one of the ways that we identify ourselves. I've got another quote up here for you. And this is from the PCA Study Committee report. It wasn't on work, but this was the Study Committee report on human sexuality. And there was a portion toward the end where they were comparing modern conceptions of identity, and you're hearing a lot of this sort of language in our culture, modern conceptions of identity with more traditional conceptions of identity. I've got the middle of... Uh, of the quote, but I'm going to give you a, a larger section. Here's what the, the study committee report had to say. It says, the modern view of identity is often called expressive individualism. The idea that deep within are feelings and desires that must be discovered and unlocked and expressed to become a true self. Identity is now found in one's desires. While in the past it was found in one's duties and relationships with God, family, and community. So now, determining and acting on your sexual desires is considered a key part of the process of becoming an authentic person. But again, comes back to this one in the middle, that in the past, our identity was founded on our duties and our relationships. Who are we in relation to God and the world that he's made and the people that he's put into it? What, uh, what duties do we have to those people that uh, that are close to us. That's part of what we're talking about today. Uh, and it seemed uh, good to me to approach it in these three ways. First, we talk about a basic understanding of work, just an understanding of, uh, of what God created work to be. Second, if we begin to apply that in everyday principles, we see the ways that it, it touches uh, on the things that we do every day. And then finally, 
uh, as we ask some big questions. So if we are going to get anywhere near number three, we need to go really quickly through one and two. And we're going to do that with the Lord's help. We're going to start with a, with a basic understanding. Grab your Bible uh, and open to Genesis chapter one. going to be reading, and I'll read these passages. There will be lots of other passages in just a little bit that others can, uh, can look up and read for us. Uh, but we're going to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. And then we're going to skip down a little bit uh, to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. And as we read these texts, I have three questions for you to think about. These are the three questions that I, I want you to answer in just a moment. Just a few reflections. What do these texts, pre-fall, creation before the fall of man, what do these texts teach us about work and our relationship to God, our relationship to creation, our relationship to each other? So that's what we're pondering as we read these. And we begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Continuing in chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now let's jump down to chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to pick it up and read to the end of the chapter. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, uh, hopefully, what we're going to see is that for various reasons, when we think about work, it's good to start in much the same way that we think about marriage, uh, to think about how it was instituted at first before we ruined everything with our sin. Uh, So here in these passages, what do we learn? What do they teach us about our, uh, our work and our relationship to God, creation, and each other? What do you see? Ronnie. You mean work itself isn't a curse of the fall? Yeah, absolutely. Work is a good thing. Uh, Work is a gift that God has given to us. Why has God given us work? Matt? 
So you said God himself is a worker. It's a good thing to do. He creates us in his image. He gives us work to do, and it's good that we do that work. It could be as simple as that, if, if we could keep from, uh, from complicating things, that God is a worker. He makes us as workers. He put us in a creation that itself needs to be worked. Good. Other things that you see here. Work in our relationship to God, creation, and one another. Yeah, so we take our direction from him. Uh, again, kind of like marriage, work is not our idea. It's not the way that humanity looks at the world and says, I bet I can get some minerals out of that mountain if I dig hard enough. Uh, God puts us in his creation, and he says, it's your job to subdue it and to work. And that is not just a gift, it's also a duty. It's a responsibility that we have to the Lord, who is our creator and our God. Other things that you see here. How about our, our relationship to one another? We touched on our relationship to God a little bit, a little bit uh, of creation. How, how do these texts teach us about uh, work and our relationship to one another? Tim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. So you mentioned, Tim, uh, you mentioned this, uh, what's known as the cultural mandate to multiply, be fruitful, and fill and subdue the earth. Now, here's something interesting. God created a world and said it was good, and that good world still needed to be subdued. Right? We tend to think that man was dropped into a creation where it just sort of happened. And it did. Uh, we'll see as we look at the fall in just a minute that Work got a lot more difficult, but God created a good world that still needed to be subdued. That's part of his good creation. And he gives us that mandate. He calls us to do it. And in order to do that, to fulfill it, are we able to do it on our own? No. So that wasn't good. Not good that man should be alone. Uh, he created it that way uh, and said, here's, here's the first not good thing, that man should be alone. And so I'll, I'll give him a helper. Uh, it's interesting that God could have said all kinds of things. I'll, I'll give him a friend. I'll give him a lover. I'll give him a, you know, insert your answer here. God says, I'm going to give him a helper. Uh, the word is often used in the Old Testament uh, to refer to God himself as the helper of his people. The one who uh, completes and makes capable what we can't do on our own. God says, I'm going to give a helper. Of course, man can't multiply and fill without his helper. It takes a male and a female. Cynthia? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ronnie? Yeah, yeah, and, and Chris gave that look that says, uh, speak for yourself, when you said even introverts want to be with other people in the end, and Chris, Chris gave one of those. Uh, but it's true, right? We, we are made for relationship, and we have different tolerances for that, uh, but we're made for relationship, and we're not full in the way that God created us to be if we're not living in relationship. 
Chris, were you going to add to that? And then we'll move on from this. Absolutely essential, yeah, yeah. Here's, um, and here's where I give you a recommended resource. If you want to think more about work, a pretty good book, Timothy Keller, uh, and this is how you can, can tell if people are in the know or out of the know. If you've only ever read his books, you call him Timothy. Um, but if, if you're in the PCA, you call him Tim. Tim Keller, uh, Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work. A lot of the insights that we're going to be talking about today came from this book. Uh, he's got lots of good things to say. Um, and one of the things he says is about this cultural mandate, which is, which is kind of where these texts are, uh, are moving toward, right? Uh, there's a God who's created us, a God who's created a world that needs to be subdued, and he's created us to work together to do that. And Keller says, human beings filling the earth means something far more than plants and animals filling the earth. It means civilization, not just procreation. We get the sense that God doesn't merely want more individuals of the human species. He also wants the world to be filled with a human society. He could have just spoken the word and created millions of people and thousands of human settlements, but he didn't. He made our job to develop and build society. Sometimes you'll hear work uh, spoken of, I'll, I'll get to you in just a minute. Sometimes you hear work spoken of as culture making. And he, he talks about that in here. And th that might sound a little... Uh, ephemeral, but really it comes from the idea of cultivating. What was man intended to do? To cultivate and to tend and to take the world God created and to, and to use it as stewards for the good things uh, God intended. Teresa. Yeah, and, and they're working perfectly together, perfectly in concert, achieving the same end, right? Uh, so in, in the New Testament, it speaks of Christ himself being the creator. It uh, speaks in Genesis 1 of the spirit hovering over the waters. It, uh, it speaks of God, the Father in Ephesians 1, who had the plan before all time to unite all things together in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. He had this plan before the foundations of the world. Everything's moving together for this purpose, this plan that God has. That's another way that we're to work like God. We're to purpose and plan and, and achieve in, in certain ways. Here's another thing I want to encourage you to think about, and that is the dignity of work. Uh, you could go down many long rabbit trails just to say that what we see in the Bible is vastly different than the philosophies of the world, many of which thought that work was something that was disdainful. It was something that was foisted upon humanity by gods who didn't like them because uh, they're trapped in this human body, they're trapped in this creation, so let's give them something really demeaning to do. We'll, we'll give them work. Philip Jensen said, if God came into the world, what would he be like? Well, for the ancient Greeks, he might have been a philosopher king. The ancient Romans might have looked for a just and noble statesman but how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world? He comes as a carpenter. The same thing we see in the garden. He comes as a gardener. Uh, it means that there is no work, uh, no task. Here's Keller again. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. Simple physical labor is God's work, no less than the formulation of theological truth. All right, so that's work as it was. 
Uh, let's read another passage. Can I have a volunteer to read Genesis 3, 16 to 19 for us? It's on the same page. You've already got it open. Uh, all right. Well, I, I saw Clara in the back. She's going to get uh, Genesis 3, 16 to uh, 19. And as you read this, as you hear it, here's the question. What's changed? What's changed with our work and our relationship to God, with work and our relationship to creation, with work and our relationship to one another? Go ahead, Clara. All right, what's changed? What's changed from chapter 2? There's sin. So work itself is cursed, right? Uh, so our labors don't produce what we expect them to produce or what we hope they would produce. Here's Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. It's all vain. It's all futile. The Lord has consigned creation to futility in hope, but he's consigned it to futility. The world doesn't work the way we expect it to because it's been cursed by our sin. Cynthia, you had a hand. Mm. Yeah. We're separated, you said we're separated from God, uh, and that separation is on several levels. Uh, they're banished from the garden, the place they were put to tend and cultivate in the first place. They also become morally separated from God. God has put us into a world and, and put his creation in our lives and given us work as one of the ways that we show who God is. His creativity put in us, his industry put in us, and we're to show that to the world. But now we're morally separate from the God who's created us for these things. And so our work itself doesn't align with the ways that we should be working and the ends for which we should be working. What else do you see? What has changed? Greg? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, the difference is that the ESV is constantly in flux. And if you read a digital version, it may be different in some ways than the printed version that you have in front of you because every once in a while the committee goes back and they make revisions. And this is one that has flip-flopped back and forth. The language here that your desire will be for or against, it actually shows up again in the next chapter where, uh, where Cain kills his brother Abel. Before that, the Lord comes to him and uses the same phrase. Uh, he says, uh, where is it? Um, Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The idea of your desire being for really is a desire to be over or to usurp. It speaks to this disordered authority structure, which happens first in the home. This is part of the curse of the fall. God comes and says to the woman, your desire will be to be over the husband the Lord has given you but he's going to rule over you. So it actually is a, is a change in the authority structures in two directions. Those that are under authority want to usurp authority, and those that are in authority want to, uh, want to abuse authority, right? And so all of these structures, and it starts in the home because this is the first human society, but it extends everywhere, right? You go to work, and your boss has something for you to do, and you go, your desire is to be over your, your authority. Right, uh, and, and we could we could extrapolate that out in many ways. Thanks for picking that up, Greg. Uh, but yeah, so careful if you're reading a digital version versus a print version of the ESV. It's mostly the same, but they they toggle a few things back and forth. Okay, so separated from God, work itself is cursed. Authority structures are broken. Anything else that's changed? 
David. Yeah. It's harder. <laughs> it's a lot harder now. Uh, you know, uh, he was tending, Adam and Eve, they were tending and cultivating. We don't know what it was like, but the Lord said, I've given you every tree bearing uh, uh, or fruit bearing tree for your, for your food. He wasn't sweating, uh, but now he says it'll bring forth thorns and thistles. It's an interesting uh, phrase. If you, if you follow that through Isaiah, this is one of the phrases that Isaiah uses over and over again to explain uh, the fallenness of creation. He always talks about thorns and thistles coming up. It's sort of uh, emblematic of where we are in this cursed world that you reach down to pick up uh, you know, some good fruit from the ground and you get, you get stuck with this thorn because that's what has happened. I, I saw Ronnie and then I saw Scott. Our sin uh, disorders our desires and the things that we want in the world. And I love that you brought up Romans 7, the things that we don't want to do, we do. And how often have I said, I do want to work on my sermon, I do not want to watch another YouTube video. But there I go, and there I go, uh, and, uh, and a five-minute video turns into 20, uh, and you should probably just fire me already. Uh, Scott, you're going to have the last comment, though. I did see Tim's hand. Scott's going to have the last comment here. Tendon soil. Instead of us subduing creation, it's going to take us over. Yeah, to dust you shall return. You're going to go back to where you were. Tim? <laughs> All right. Working for something that's going to become dust. Yeah. There's a lot of cross-pollination happening in, up here with, with Ecclesiastes and what we're doing in Sunday school. I can't get away from it. We're not going to get there this week, but next week we're going to, Andrew's going to lead and talk about toil and the idea, what are we going to do? We're going to toil and we're going to work and then we're going to die and leave it to somebody else. That's it. Why do you trust in man? When, when his breath departs, his plans come to an end, right? All of his toil is as vain as his days are short. Yeah, so this reminder that our work only goes so far. And, and Scott brought up this idea between the difference between tending and toiling. Uh, John MacArthur uh, puts it, he says, God uh, created Adam to be a gardener and sin made him a farmer. Just that little, what do you do in your spare time while I garden? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a farmer, right? There's, there's this difference here. That there, it's still labor, it's still work, but it's a difference between rewarding 
uh, a hobby sort of thing that you do to, that relaxes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Uh, so let's, uh, let's move on from here. And I'm acknowledging that we are taking a big, huge flying leap. And the big, huge flying leap that we're taking is the gospel. All right? So refer back to that first class that we had where you can't live as a Christian in the world without being a Christian. Right? You, you can't fulfill God's commands in your life if the Spirit's not at work. So we're assuming that to get to this next slide, because we're not going to tease out the whole thing. Creation uh, was made good, work was made good, we became sinful, but now as redeemed people, now as redeemed people with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that benediction that I often use from Hebrews uh, 13, may God equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God does that if we're believers. He enables us to do that if you want another Scripture proof, think of all of 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection and the joy of, of resurrected life in Christ, and it ends by saying, therefore be steadfast and movable, my brothers, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All right, so we're taking this huge leap uh, from the way sin has affected work to what do we do as sinners being sanctified. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So this is the framework that we need to put in place by the help of the Spirit on all of our work. Uh, and let's all turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, and I'll need uh, another volunteer to read that for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 to 12. Who will be so bold? Thank you, Dave. Watch out. He's got a digital version. It might be different. So this is the first of several passages we're going to look at, but as we look at this one, what does this teach us about how we are to work as people redeemed by God, wrestling with our sin in a world that must be cultivated? I like that analogy, Dave. Thank you. So there's, there's this weight, and the weight is our desire for sin and comfort and ease. And now other people wrestle with sin and work in different ways. Uh, Keller says that one of the things that work does after the fall is it exposes our idols, and some people have the idol of comfort and idleness. Others have the idol of industry and, uh, and workaholism and trying to uh, prove themselves by their work. But here's one example of what we have to do. Work is still commanded, right? The Lord put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, work, tend, cultivate, do. He still gives us those commands, but now it's harder, and it's harder because well, we don't want to do uh, what we've been created to do. We want to be idle. Anything else that you take from this? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to occupy ourselves with something. I worked for a summer in college as YouTube. Yeah, thank you. 
I, I worked for a summer in, uh, in college as a laborer for a bricklaying company. Uh, and it was hard work. And I learned really quickly that if you weren't busy, they would find something for you to do. And so in those moments, when everybody had all the mortar they needed, they had all the bricks, they were busy, they were working, I got really good at holding a bucket and walking around like this. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm at ease, I'm taking a little break, but I have to look like I'm still working. That's the busybody, right? That's, that's keeping busy with something, but so that others think you're doing something productive and you're not. Uh, there is also this, uh, this attachment between uh, we must work and we must work to provide for ourselves, right? Uh, we shouldn't sit back and expect that others will work and provide for us. This is happening specifically in the church. There's a lot more we could say about 2 Thessalonians, but you remember that in, in uh, the passage before this, as in 1 Thessalonians, there was this anxiety in the church that maybe they'd miss the day of the Lord. And you've got all these Gentiles who have these hang-ups about physical work not being really dignified. And then they think, well, what should we do if we want to be really, really spiritual? Well, let's just spend our time in idleness. Let's not engage in the work. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not what we did. Paul could have. He had a right, he says. We have the right to not work among you and instead receive our wages because the workman is worthy of his hire and, the, and you shouldn't muzzle the ox when he's treading out the grain and all the other analogies for pastors that are unflattering. If you think of me as an, an ox, that'd be good. Um, so he uses these examples, but he says, we did it anyway and we did it to give you an example that in the church you shouldn't be a freeloader. You shouldn't expect other people, if you're able to work, and here's the difference, he doesn't say those who can't work, he says those who won't work, right? If one will not work, neither shall he eat. And so there is this, there is this uh, we're put in the world and it works a certain way and God calls us to be workers because he's a worker. All right, uh, so let's summarize work as, and we're still on point number one. Yeah, go ahead. It is pretty strong language, um, and uh, and let's take a look at it there. Um, good. <laughs> All right. Good. Yeah. If you shall not work, neither shall you eat. Yeah. 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 So essentially, Paul's saying this is an issue for church discipline. Idleness, refusing to work, expecting others to provide for you. This is the sort of thing that should not exist in the church. Um, but he goes on, right? He, he says, um, well, we stopped at verse 12, didn't we? Did we stop at verse 12? We did. Keep reading. As for you, brothers, these are the people who are, who are continuing to work. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. That's the point that, that Greg was raising. Uh, shame is a good thing. Uh, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. What's the point of staying away from that person? Is it to say, you're terrible and we want nothing to do with you? No, it's to, to wake them up to the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of idleness. It's like 1 Corinthians 5 where there's sin in the church such as doesn't even exist among the Gentiles, and you're proud of it. Here's what you need to do. You need to remove this person from you. Uh, why? Well, in the hopes that this brother will be reclaimed, that they'll understand the seriousness of their sin and be brought back in. We had a conversation a while ago uh, on Mike Lee's porch about, well, you know, does it always work out that way? Does church discipline always produce the reclamation of the sinner. Well, no. But it should be done even if the sinner is not reclaimed because there are other things at stake. There's the glory of Christ in his church. There's our witness among the people in the world. Uh, and so there are other things that we're dealing with. And, and so Paul says, yeah, this isn't something that should exist in the church. And if you've got somebody claiming to be a believer who refuses 
uh, to, to work have nothing to do with them. Uh, this, is, this is almost an Amish-style shunning. Uh, but do it uh, in, in the sense of trying to reclaim the brother. And no offense to anyone who may have Amish roots in the room. Dave. It's bad practice rooted in bad theology, as it so often is, right? Well, it's just, it's just laziness. Well, why take it so, so seriously in the church? Why kick somebody out of the church because they refuse to work? Well, it's based in this, this platonic dualism that says spirit good, body bad. Uh, and I don't know, Christ had a body. He has a body. He's redeeming our body. He's, uh, he's calling us to work with our bodies and work in the good creation that he has made. Uh, and so we need to take that very, very seriously. I have a feeling this is going to become two classes, just so you know. Um, we, can just, we can just relax and actually get through the material. I'm constantly trying to get to the, to the practical, but it never quite happens. All right, so how do we summarize that? How do we summarize what we've seen? Uh, well, again, I think marriage is a really good analogy. Uh, marriage is given to humanity by God. It's given to show forth his character in us as we accomplish his purposes for creation. Uh, marriage also has been cursed by sin. Our labors in marriage are made difficult because of our own sin and the sin of those that we are with. Yet God has redeemed his people and in the process of sanctification, he uses us to shape us according to his will. The same thing happens with work. It was created good, it was given to man to show forth God's character in the world, that it becomes a way that we show that our Heavenly Father is working, our Savior continues working, we continue working. There's dignity in all the kinds of work that God calls us to. We won't even touch on the idea of your vocation, vocation as a calling, it's the Latin root there, and it's not just uh, those who are in the ministry that are called by God, but but people in all kinds of work called by the station and, and God's provident care to where he leads them. Uh, but, but I think another way to think about it is that work is the intersection of dignity and difficulty. What is work? Well, it's a good gift that has been frustrated by sin. And who are Christian workers? Well, we're sinful people who are being redeemed. And if you wanted to draw arrows between the two corners, you could find a chiasm anywhere. Uh, I made one for you. And so what we're trying to do by the work of the Spirit is to work out the redemption that God's working in us by applying ourselves to this gift of work, doing it well, doing it excellently. And as we do that, we need to wrestle with the fact that our work has been frustrated by our sin and we have been frustrated by our sin. We don't do what we want to do. We, we go in the wrong direction. We always want to usurp or abuse power structures, and it doesn't work the way that we ought to. Okay? So that's point one. Let's, let's move on uh, to point two. Uh, and, uh, and I had intended for this to be a lightning round. I really, really, really don't want to just skip over the big questions at the end um, because those are the ones that we're going to have to put our wisdom at work. And so I think we're going to stop with section two if we can. It's still got to be a lightning round. Um, but I have various texts in the New Testament, I need lots of volunteers, uh, some in the Old Testament too, lots of volunteers. What we're going to do, I need a, first a round of six. And if you're a volunteer, I want you to find your text, I want you to read it for us, and I want you to tell us uh, how does this apply to our working lives now. Some of these, you'll see, like Colossians, you already know that passage before you turn to it, I bet. Some of these apply very easily, very quickly to our working lives. The others are general principles of Christian conduct that we need to figure out how it applies. Okay, so, so I need some volunteers, and I need you to find and read your passage for us, and then tell us, where does this meet our working lives? How, by the help of the Spirit, can we put this in place? I saw Dave's hand first. You'll get the easy one. Thank you. Colossians 3, 22 to 24. I saw, what's that? That's it. I saw Matt's hand in the back. 
why don't you grab Psalm 15, verses 1 to 4. I saw John's hand. Why don't you get 1 Timothy 6? Mike, why don't you grab Romans 12? Chris, Ephesians 5. One more. Jay, 1 Thessalonians. There's another group of six, so all the people who don't normally read will get to volunteer in the second half. All right? And I will try not to add much comment at all. We'll read and we'll hear and then we'll keep moving on. So, uh, Dave, why don't you read Colossians 3, 22 to 24 for us and let, let's hear and listen. Uh, and Dave's going to tell us how we put this in practice, what it means for us. How do we put that in place, Dave? What is it calling us to? <laughs> Work heartily. Yeah, a little enthusiasm. Why? No, but Dave, I, you know, I'm just a cog in the machine. I've got a menial job. I, I'm, I'm doing something that's not fulfilling. I'm doing something that, that I didn't really want to be doing, but here I am. I'm waiting for the rest of my career to begin. Do I really apply that there, too? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, your work serves the Lord. It serves the creation that, that God has, has made. said no comment, but I'm going to give some comment. Um, we need to think really hard when we take New Testament texts about work and apply them to our own situation, because there's a huge difference here. In the first century context, uh, you either worked for yourself, agriculture or, uh, or trade or whatever, or you were a slave. There were not many employees, not nearly as many as we have today, who can decide to pick up and leave and take another job or who are free to do that sort of thing. And so we, we need to take some time sometimes to work these things out. The authority structure is different now, but there is still an authority structure, and there are things that are applicable as we think about slaves and bond servants and masters and things like that. It's not exactly a one-to-one -one correlation between employer and employee, but there are some parallels, all right, and, and we can apply that. Okay, uh, who had the second one? Psalm 15, that was Matt. Why don't you read Psalm 15, 1 to 4, uh, tell us how we put it to work. Apply that for us, Matt. So Matt, you're a lawyer, and, you, and your boss comes to you and says, you know, if you, uh, if you mess with the details of this case a little bit, make it, make it seem more appealing, uh, we'll give you a bigger case next time. Right? You're, you're faithful and little, we'll make you charge of, uh, in charge of much. Right? Will, you, will you do what's right and faithful even though you may be hurt by it? You maintain truthfulness and integrity, and you do that in all your working endeavors. 
Yeah, I, I like what you brought out too about uh, engaging with those who are around us, right? It, it speaks of uh, who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor take up a reproach against his friend. You may be tempted to put somebody else down to make yourself look good. If they have completed the project, say they have completed the project, right? Don't take credit for what you haven't done so that you can get ahead. Good, good. All right, who had number three, 1 Timothy chapter 6? John? All right, put that to work, John. Now, here's an interesting thing in another place where we need to extrapolate a little bit for us. Notice uh, that he does not say, if you have believing masters, assume that they will release you from your, your bondsmanship. Right? Uh, we need to extrapolate. Right? Uh, don't expect that believing bosses will give you a pass on the things that you need to do because your buddy's in the Lord. Do what you're called to do. So often, especially among Jews, employing Jews as slaves, it was something that you would enter into, voluntary slavery, because you had another, no other way to pay your debt. And there was, at least originally in God's word, there was a limit. You serve for seven years, then you go free. And so you're essentially hiring yourself out to work as a slave for a certain number of years to pay off your debts. It was an economic arrangement, right? Apply that model. This, this isn't uh, the same model of, of southern chattel slavery that we find with was really man-stealing and then selling on a, on a slave market. Uh, this is an economic arrangement. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in the Roman world, it was different, right? There were, there were all kinds of models of slavery. Uh, as I see Brian giving the face palm back there for my historical inaccuracies. Uh, but this was essentially an economic arrangement. And he's saying to believers, don't assume that you get out of your economic arrangements because your boss is also a brother. Right? Fulfill the things that you've, uh, you've been called to do, where the Lord has placed you, your station in life. Uh, we could look at 1 Corinthians where he says, if you're a slave when you're called, okay, continue as a slave. Don't let it chafe you. If you're free, okay, continue as a free man. Uh, so, but again, this idea of, of not only doing the work, but honoring those who are over us. Okay, who had Romans 12? Yes. Yeah, um, notice uh, that the first verse, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Verse 2 adds the if they're brothers also, right? So he starts with saying Christians are not Christians, give them honor. Now, if they are Christian, there's an extra duty, uh, but if they're not Christians, they're still worthy of honor. We look at the New Testament and it says honor the emperor. Are you kidding me? You know who was emperor at the time? Uh, you know what they were doing to Christians? Uh, and yet, uh, give honor to whom honor is due. Mike, you had Romans chapter 12. <clears throat>
there's a realization here as well that that's not always possible. Uh, but, but Paul says, so far as it depends upon you. There's going to be friction at work. You're right. It's going to happen. Uh, but believers should be the people who are kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven us. We, we should be the peacemakers. And so far as it depends on us, yes, treating our, our coworkers with kindness and respect. Uh, Ephesians 5. Thank you. Paul telling us we should be whistleblowers. <laughs> Don't engage in, uh, in the works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's shameful to speak of the things they do in secret. I, maybe, in certain contexts, right? Yeah, it could be the case. Uh, and, you, and you need to weigh that very seriously. And here again is where we, we bump up again against one another's practical wisdom as it shows up in our, our daily living. But, uh, but the idea at least is, to do what's truthful, to do what's faithful, have no part in, in the shameful acts that people commit when they want to be hidden. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Last one, who had First Thessalonians 5? Jay. Put it to work. Yeah. Even if you're just that tiny little cog. Yeah. And especially if you're a very large cog that has uh, something to do with many other tiny cogs below you. Uh, approach your work prayerfully. Rejoice in what the Lord has given you to do. All right, we're going to close there. We are going to pick this up. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to pick it up next week. There's going to be a little bit of a gap. Uh, I will be gone together with my wife as we celebrate our 15th anniversary with a weekend away. Our kids will be here uh, annoying the brains out of the Rollins uh, so you can see them and wave to them and, and uh, maybe laugh in their direction. Uh, but we'll be gone, Lord willing. And Rob is going to be teaching next weekend on practicing hospitality. And then we're going to come back the following week and close out some of these things. And I, I've got some big sort of, maybe we'll turn them into case study questions that we can really dig through. What happens if you're in this situation? What happens if, if that shows up in work? And that's where we're going to go in two weeks, Lord willing. But let's close together in prayer. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you for work. Uh, no matter if we work in the home, we work out of the home, we work in something that feels exciting, something that feels like drudgery, we thank you that you have made us as workers and you've made us to reflect your work and your creativity in the world. Help us to do that faithfully by the work of your spirit in us. Help us to be your people who labor, uh, who rejoice, who give honor where it's due, who uh, live as your people in the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.